You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Sox fans, guess what? My name is Brett Valentini. I'm lucky enough to host another Southside Sox podcast. Here we are at the beginning of July. The White Sox are 35 and 39. They're in third place in the AL Central. I'm not sure where the oxygen is in the room for them to suck up and get better. Catch now two teams, two legitimate contenders for the AL Central. There are two legitimate contenders for the AL Central, and the White Sox right now are not one of them. Uh, welcoming in plenty, a bevy of guests. Uh, we're going to lead it off with Adrian Serrano, author of, boy, I thought it was a poem when I first started reading it, author, it was poetry, author of uh, Larry Garcia, Takes a Walk, <laughs> Tony Lusa <laughs> gives him a standing ovation. Oh my God, man, that is going to be some oral history one day when we find out what the relationship is between the two of them. Super Joe Sifresis from the Indianapolis field office. Flying solo, representing the entire field office. The other cubicle is empty. Crystal O'Keefe, not with us. Dante Jones, showing up, doing the thing. And, of course, Trooper Galactus. Uh, rumors have it one day, Patreon-only content, where it will just be Trooper screaming at the sun. Because there's been a lot of stuff to scream about. So, uh, speaking of, hey, let's get to a podcast. Um, 
I'm going to nibble at some stuff that we've talked about in prior podcasts, because guess what? It's just been a rinse repeat <laughs> season so far, of course. One thing I'm intrigued about, and I've sort of just glossed over it in the past, is the key to the White Sox getting better and catching up in this in this race is, you know, they're going to have to find wins. They're going to have to find performance that they haven't shown so far this season. I get it. When you beat the Minnesota Twins 12 straight times, you're going to be making their performance worse and improving your own. So I, I get how this thing works. It's not just played on paper. But I'm curious to know, again, I'm going to throw it out to everybody. I'm curious to know where we're going to see our wins. We've seen um, people in the past, uh, Yasmani Grandal can be doing better. Izzy, is that likely? From my real sketch here, I see maybe like four war being left on the table. Catchers, I, I guess Yasmani, you get you, you can get you another a win. Yoan, a win? It's not like there's not three wins in Yoan Mankata in the second half. Left field, I'm sort of throwing AJ Pollock there, but I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think Aloy is necessarily going to do measurably better than the corner outfielders we've been throwing out there, uh, uh, namely uh, Vaughn and and Sheets. Uh, starting pitching, you know, there's guys who have been pitching better than we would have thought. And of course, Lance Lynn is, is sort of the big question mark of how much can he really contribute in the second half? Because he would be a key guy to really help in a run uh, toward an AL central title. So I'm curious if I am being too stingy with this team. Uh, I'd like to know uh, from any of you where you think a gain can be made in the second half. Uh, Trooper, I know you said offense last time. Listen, I looked up the numbers. Uh, you know, you look at baseball reference, uh, the pitching's been better. You look at fan graphs, the hitting's been better. Of course, the team's been awful. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily one or the other, but I'm just curious, maybe just one position, one player that's going to sort of lead the White Sox uh, toward that <laughs> rumored, oh, wait, it was already in the bag, division title for 2022. Uh, I'll, I'll just say Grandal just because the gap between what we've gotten out of him and what we know he's capable of is such a huge difference that if he even returns to like a fraction of his powers, then that's, that's another bet behind Jose Abreu. That's an actual threat. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and that's assuming he even comes back. Um, if he's yeah. out for an extended period of time, if we can't count on him, uh, Man, I'd like to see because he's like their left-handed bat. I'd like to see Sheets step it up. Uh, he had a really good stretch of games when he returned from Triple A. He didn't have such a great uh, couple of games these last, I think, two games. I don't think he had a hit, but um, he's like the only other, I think, reliable source of left-handed power because Mankata is just not going. He never looks like he feels right, and the power is just not there. Okay, Trooper, let me challenge you then. How likely do you think it is that is going to happen? Oh, not, not okay. like at all. Okay, fair, fair enough. Just sort of like a gut check here. All right, uh, rest of the field. Uh, who, who you got? Where can we make gains that realistically would get us back into this race? I mean, if we're being realistic, I'm looking at finding ways to negatively impact the twins and the guardians you know like if byron buxton goes down like all right that's a different situation we have oh yeah um because like yeah like we're waiting on these guys like Eloy could be good but he wasn't playing good before he got hurt it's not like anybody that they're waiting to come back was killing it before they got hurt you know like tim tim was the only one that like all right he went down and he was playing great when he went down and continues to play pretty well now um 
but there's something like they have to to just finish on par with what they did last year offensively, which I don't think was like none of us thought it was super, super impressive. Uh, they need to make up about 16 war just on the offensive side. And like, that's a lot. <laughs> you know, that's it's gonna a, be lot. a hot second half. Yeah. And like the fact that like, I'm, I'm glad Jose Abreu is uh, hitting well and his uh, weighted runs created plus they're up, you know, career highs right now, but I would take him hitting one for four with a, you know, a two run Homer, then four for four with singles. Like I, we can't have all these guys hitting singles. The entire team can't hit singles. Like yeah. it's just not sustainable to create enough runs to win in this league right now. Yeah, not with the speed. <laughs> Maybe you could get away yeah, I mean, with they're, that. They're great team. at stealing bases, but they're bad at getting on base to steal bases. Yeah. And they're bad at running bases outside of stealing. Yeah. Uh, Joe, Dante, uh, who, who you got? Or, or, or is there an outlet? Um, for me, it's more about pitching. Because the pitching, like, that's the one thing that's been pretty solid all year, shockingly compared to what I expected. Hmm. So hopefully we can let the pitching stay together. I personally think that the division is out of the question at this point. They're a bit too far. Like, they're not far behind, but the way they've been playing just doesn't give me the confidence to believe that they could come back and take the division from the Guardians or the Twins. It's, and hoping for Buxton's yearly injury to happen. Eh, I'd, <laughs> like At this point, I think we should be looking at the wild card and also hoping that Eloy can come back and – provide like 15 home run pop as a DH because Lord knows he doesn't need to be playing left field because he can't play it. And also every time he plays it, he gets hurt. Yeah. The, uh, the concern really quick. The concern is that it's kind of the, even the wild card with the expanded wild card is kind of slipping away from them. They're five yep. games back in the wild yep. card, even with the extra spot. Yep. I was going to say it's almost as far away. Yeah. Wild card wise. I mean, that can change, but just trying to get through the, just trying to squeeze into the East there is going to be enough of a challenge. And now you got Cleveland from, we're going to get that in a second. Joe, listen, you're an optimist. You bring some good vibes. Uh, what do you got? You got a little bit more of a solution to this uh, to this treasure map than than the rest of us? Well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, looking at the five thirty eight odds right now, they have a forty three percent chance of making the playoffs with a projected record of eighty four and seventy eight, and that's those both seem on the uh, optimistic side to me. Uh, so yeah, the last time I gave like an a macro view of the season or like a macro prediction on how the rest of the season would pan out. So it was a little over a month ago and I had given them 87 wins at that point. And yeah, I'm starting to really um, stray from that amount. So I'd give them probably 500 if forced to make a prediction today. Uh, Yeah. So I'm not really feeling very good about any solutions at at this point that it just seems like one of those things where they're just not clicking and they're not going to click, you know, the way that uh, the world series contender should. Um, But um, I I do think that if Eloy Jimenez can stay on the field, if he makes a nice recovery from here on out, that's a huge if that's already asking too much. (laughs) Um, Like, they need power badly and they just, yeah, they have, I mean, they have the, as of just a few days ago, they had the highest batting average on the road in the majors, which is fantastic, but 
they're not walking and they're not hitting for extra bases like at all, yeah. um, pretty much. And yeah. Yeah, Eloy, he probably won't give us much help in the walk department, but he can give us a lot of help in the extra base department. And I mean, that's that's largely his game is the hitting the ball a mile. And um, that's, I, I think, the biggest individual source of of potential optimism that, that I can find right now would be a healthy Eloy Jimenez for the second half. All right. You heard it. Joe predicts no playoffs for the White Sox. He'll be lucky to get 500 because he's putting, he's, he's cashing all in on Aloy Jimenez, who just finally hit a home run in the minor leagues and really has not impressed. He just doesn't still seem like he's right, but let's hope maybe this is the start of him turning it around and maybe sometime in July, he can actually start contributing to the Sox. All right. Here's something that sort of came up in the course of this conversation. And that is uh, all along this year, we've been, well, of course, <laughs> right? We were waiting for the rest of the division to show up, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> uh, to compete with the White Sox for the division. And then it seemed that there was no chance there would be any, anything but maybe one competitor with, uh, with the White Sox. Uh, not, not everybody thought it was the Twins. Not everybody thought it was going to be Cleveland. A lot of people thought it might be Detroit. People figured maybe that at most it'd be a, a two-horse race in this division. Well, now we're really looking at two division leaders. The, uh, the Guardians are just a game behind Minnesota. So the White Sox really, it's, it's not a matter of just leapfrogging a team in this next weekend and then going after first place. They really are chasing two teams, fighting it out for first place. who look very capable of winning this division. Uh, the bottom line is you still got to win these games. You got plenty of games still left against Minnesota and Cleveland. So there's a lot that can be done against them. But the idea that it's not just one team you're targeting versus two seemingly legitimate teams, certainly as legitimate as the White Sox look so far, uh, creates an additional problem as the season is getting compressed. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it comes down to. We're talking about like one prelate, one player that's going to make a difference. And I don't think there is one player. Like it's going to come down to what we talked about very early in the season, like this any playoff chances that this White Sox team has goes through the AL Central. And I don't have a lot of hope that they're going to take those games more seriously than any other games because it's a problem that Tony had last year. It's a problem that I had with Rick before that. Like, they treated games against the division as if they could throw them away, and you can't. Like, the only games that matter from here on out is the games against Minnesota and Cleveland if you want to actually make the playoffs. Like, you could tell whatever you want about, you know, what the winning percentage is against your opponents. If you don't yeah. beat Cleveland and Minnesota, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> None of that, it matters. And yeah. that's it. There's a lot to ask for those both of those teams to fall, fall back. You can maybe count on one to sort of fall back to the, to the pack, right? But you're right, Adrian. One of them you're going to have to beat. You're really going to have to make those games count. Go ahead, Drew. Yeah, then after the Giants series, the next 19 games are against AL Central opponents. And only four of those are against Detroit. None of them are against KC. So you've got 15 games in the next month that are against the two teams that you're chasing in the AL Central. If they play like they have to this point, they are done before the end of July. Like they are, they are toast because this is really their golden chance to catch those teams, to show some life and to show that they're the real deal that, that despite all the disappointment to this point, that there is some hope. And I don't think that I have any faith left in me that they can do that because it's, it's why we were, what we talked about the other day, where it's, it's not fun watching this team. It isn't. It is. It's one thing to watch a team lose that, that can still be fun because you know what, if, if it's a competitive game and there's excitement and all that, and the teams playing hard, there's exciting things that can happen that make you happy. You went to the ballpark. 
regardless of the result. We don't even have that. This team doesn't even look like it wants to be playing baseball right now. It just doesn't. And I, I don't no. like making uh, judgments on people's body language. I don't like to make esoteric kind of arguments on things. But this series, like we know how talented these guys are and the talent is not being shown on the field, which tells me there is not the, like they do not want to be there. Yeah, they just don't, and I don't want to be there to watch that. Yeah, and you know what's scary, uh, Trooper? Uh, last night's game, uh, eighth, ninth inning. I don't know what his last at bat was. Tim Anderson, I think he got down two strikes or one or two or something. He looked killed in that at bat, and that's Tim Anderson. He's the guy you desperately need to still be chirping and leading this ball club. I mean, this is your heartbeat, and if he's looking frustrated, uh, you're in trouble. Okay, to what to what Trooper mentioned. Um, and, and again, t- proving that I'm a well researched uh, podcast host. Uh, I looked up the schedule and you're right. Um, it's, it's not, it's, it's never as easy as we think. There is a stretch July 26th to August 15, uh, absolute marshmallow opponents. I think the toughest opponent in all of that is the Texas Rangers. There's a bunch of Kansas cities. It's just nonsense. Problem is, are the White Sox alive on July 26th? And I think what you're saying, Trooper, is the legit. The White Sox are the marshmallow opponent. Yeah, they gotta, oh. they gotta like, what Trooper's talking about, like, they kind of have to realistically win nine or 10 of these games coming up against the AL central, like to put themselves back in a position of like, all right, we're actually competing now. Cause there's also a problem that if Minnesota and Cleveland continue to feel like, all right, we can compete and win this division that they have a lot more in their systems to trade, to add to their major league roster than the Sox do. The Sox don't have that many pieces to move. <laughs> like uh, it, it gets down to be like, they're going to be outbid for a lot of things that they would like to add. Um, and that's going to be a problem. We got all our players at home, all our players at home. Uh, let's take a quick break. Let's jump back. I uh, got a little game show for you. Of course we can still uh, continue this discussion as well. Don't want to cut anybody off, but uh, stick with us. Uh, second half coming up. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. White Sox fans, podcast, oh, I think it's 31. I don't know. We're not naming them that way anymore. It's just the podcast to start July. And unfortunately, it's been like the podcast to start June and May, maybe not April. Uh, it is uh, The subject of this podcast is a purported Major League Baseball team that goes by the name Chicago White Sox. Uh, we, I believe, to uh, one, are all fans of said team. And we are trying to figure out what in the world could possibly happen, fall together correctly, so the White Sox... Uh, might actually play into October as they did last year, not very successfully. Uh, I would like to start the second half with a bit of a game show. Everyone gets a turn. We have addressed this already, and it is actually now on site as a poll for readers, but I'm going to put a twist. The poll for readers right now, the, um, what do they call it? Reacts, whatever, SB, whatever, reacts. Uh, who do you eliminate? Who do you fire from the White Sox? Is it Jerry Reinsdorf? Is it Rick Hahn? Is it Tony La Russa? Now, granted, I figured out the cheat code for this, probably because I came up with a question a few podcasts ago, and it was, of course, you get rid of Jerry Ransdorf because whoever owns the team is going to get rid of Rick Hahn and Tony La Russa, right? Come on, let's, you know, that's the cheat. Uh, but here's, here's the new wrinkle, and I need an answer from everyone here. You can only remove one, and the other two who remain 
have to stick around for, let's say, at least a year. They have to stick around. So you can't do a thing where the new owner is going to just clean house. So in that case, don't know if the answers change. Who gets eliminated from this team? Owner Jerry Reinsdorf, GM Rick Hahn, or manager Tony LaRussa? And I will start in the top left corner, Adrian Serrano for the block. Adrian, your answer. I mean, the easy answer would be the owner because he creates all of this mess in the first place. But if the owner gets fired, then everybody else is getting fired because they're incompetent. So now we're talking about like, you know, three years at least until we can compete again, (laughs) even though we have the players here now. So, you know, the answer would have to be Tony because there is some talent here. Rick has done a poor job of building any kind of depth in the organization. We keep crying about injuries as if the GM's also not responsible for filling the uh, minor leagues with the depth that they are sorely missing. Um, There's no perfect answer for this. The whole thing is Fakakta from the top down. And um, (laughs) I I don't, I I wish I, I wish I could be optimistic, but it's just like everybody has done something that's terrible, you know, in their job. But um, the easiest one to replace is Tony. So I'm just going to stick with Tony. Okay, Joe Reeses, treated a socks math. There is a perfect answer. There is a perfect answer. I need to know what it is. I would go with Rick Hahn personally. Mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, he has, he, as, as frustrating as it is to watch Tony's mistakes with <laughs> the in-game decisions, and there have been a lot of them, I do think that overall, Rick Hahn has probably hurt this team's chances more than Tony LaRusa has. I, I'm just, yeah, kind of of the belief that even the worst managers don't harm their teams that much, whereas general managers have the abilities to really, really harm their teams. Uh, yeah. Um, and just looking at Rick Hahn's track record, um, and now even having finally a, a payroll that's quite high um you know among among the tops in the league um to really kind of strike out in the offseason as he so far has um mo- you know, most of his offseason moves that he made in this past offseason really haven't panned out and it's you know dis- disheartening to to see that and uh yeah i think with even an average general manager we're looking at an entirely different situation now as we enter july Still available at the T Public Store. Number seven payroll. T-shirts available. All sorts of merchandise available. Coffee cups, coffee mugs available. Okay, yeah. Uh, Joe, but wait, Joe, uh, Rick Hahn doesn't have any power. He's just a patsy. How can you fire him? Uh, okay, Dante, who's it going to be? Is there a perfect answer? Who's your choice? Well, considering the fact that, as you guys have laid out, if we give Rev Jerry, that's a few more years of a rebuild when we've already reached the point where we're supposed to be like winning. <laughs> if we get rid of Rick, then we still have Tony. But I feel like I could deal with in this scenario one more year of Tony if it means getting rid of Rick and we can start rebuilding everything. Like not rebuilding, retooling, as mm-hmm. we would like to say. Mm-hmm. We can retool the team to be more competitive in the near future. Because as Joe said, it's much like a manager in baseball has a lot less like input than a manager in like a coach in basketball or coaching football for per se. So I guess the guy has to be Rick because at least if we get a Dombrowski type GM, 
I mean, I'd rather a team make bold moves and a flame out than go get Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman and then don't lose Joe Kelly or Kendall Graveman. And I can deal with the fact that Tony exists. I can deal with Jerry existing because at least I don't have to hear Jerry Reinsdorf at all at this point, which is another concerning thing is um, owner doesn't show up to anything. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, if we have time at the end of this, we are going to address maybe Rakan's very worst uh, move with San Francisco looming on the schedule. I'm going to give my vote to put the pressure on Trooper because I'm surprised. I'm surprised at the results so far. Two votes for Rakan. I'm voting to La Russa because my fandom might not su- survive more than like another year. I need the biggest problem, the easiest problem to get rid of, the most immediate one, gone. Tony, gone. Two votes, Tony. Two votes, Rick. Trooper, what's going to do? Yeah, it's a rough one because I hate all three of these guys. <laughs> point with such a passion um i'll so here's the thing is i can say at least it's it's somewhat faint praise but i can at least say about jerry he put for he put the money in this year and as meddlesome as he is Mm -hmm. if you put forward if he's putting forward the money and we you know what he's not even as much as we hate him we have to acknowledge he's not the worst owner in MLB. There are some guys that are far worse than Jerry. He's not the worst owner in this city, but okay, so, go ahead. So I can't say Jerry just based on that. I would say, I would love to say Rick Hahn, but even Han has some positive qualities as a general manager. We like the core of players he's assembled and he's sure. the one that assembled him. He's made when he's allowed to spend money, generally speaking, he's get something out of those players, even if they're like mid-level kind of free agents. He, that's where he's fine. I mean, he just doesn't shop well in the bargain bin, which is unfortunate because that's kind of the <laughs> really under. So then it comes down to what's to Tony LaRusso. I have nothing positive to say about the guy. His in-game strategy is terrible. He is not motivating these guys whatsoever. He, he's not doing anything of value. And when you say, like, Joe, I agree. Nor, ordinarily, I'd say, you know, managers don't have that much of an effect on the game. But we see it time and time again. It's almost every game. Like, I have to – I go on Twitter and I'm like, wow, Tony coached a good game because I didn't see him screw up. Like, that's the exception, not the norm. Like, it, it's incredible that, like, it's, and it's not even, like, second-guessing stuff. It's not even, like, oh, you know, that didn't work out. Tony, what a moron you are. It's like, no, people are saying as he's doing it, what the hell are you doing? When he's letting Leary Garcia bat and not subbing in Andrew Vaughn, a perfectly healthy Andrew Vaughn, in a critical situation, everybody else is saying what's happening. I mean, yeah, I, not not to you know denigrate the the walk herd around the world, but <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's it's like this is every week. Yeah. There are multiple instances of Tony Larusa proving he can't do this job competently, and we just have to take it day after day, and and watch. Yes, I do think he is costing this team wins. Uh, all right. Well, Tony, sorry. This is the, this is the rules. Yeah. You got to go. Uh, hello, front office. We know you're watching. You know what you got to do, Adrian. There's two points to that. Like one is like, 
Tony is the obvious answer because like no other person affects this year. Also, this year is not completely, it's going to be hard yeah. for them to make it happen this year, but like right. it could happen. And you saw a team um, already this year in Philadelphia fire coach and kind of get themselves back in a race. Like it happens a lot. It's why coaches get fired like in season. It's because it does show the players that there is a, a consequence to playing that poorly. But another side poll that I think we should run is like, if you fire Rick, is anybody taking this job? Mm. Like who, who out there that is a competent, well uh, established GM candidate wants this job with Jerry here and seeing what he just did to his guy that's been here for almost 10 years with Tony LaRusso. Like, I don't want any part of this job if I'm a, a real it's candidate. Tony LaRusso becomes the next general manager. Yeah, it's an easy answer. You don't got to look anywhere. It's just well, we're it's bringing Hawk back. We're bringing Hawk hall. back. To, yeah, Hawk is coming back to redo that uh, thing. Tony and Hawk together forever. Don't worry. We can just do the whole let's sign Paul Canuckle and manage and AJ Brzezinski to be the GM. Or we can flip it around. You know, yeah, either sure. way. That way, the White Sox can do the one thing that they've been trying to do all this time and completely kill my fandom off <laughs> and just make me an objective reporter. Yeah, that's true. Yes, we won't be. There will be no heart uh, ties done. All right. The excuse we're going to use for a San Francisco Giants preview. White Sox are playing San Francisco. Oh, it just doesn't get any easier. That schedule is supposed to get easier. Just isn't getting easier yet for three games over the weekend. And uh, by way of a preview, we will just talk about uh, three White Sox that got away. One, Luis Gonzalez. Ah, Okay, who cares? That wasn't the biggest gap, although he has showed out fairly decently for he was a rookie of the month whatever that means uh, might mean that the rookie class in the national league isn't all that great uh but i believe he's injured anyway your mean got called up i don't know what he did i don't know if he's playing i don't know if he's doing antics i'm not sure what's going on but hey you know there's another guy that i think the white Sox could use and that's carlos rodan and i'm curious uh in this discussion it seems like most of us uh, are of the belief that it was a mistake to not at least offer carlos rodan the qo for the season um but so, uh, and if you feel differently, you can speak up. Otherwise, I'm curious to know whether or not the decision to just let Carlos walk without even getting a draft choice out of some sort of strange politeness to Carlos Rodon and Scott Boris. I really don't know how you possibly spin this at all. Me and Luke Smales have had like violent debates now for like months over this, and there is no resolution. And I admire Luke's intelligence greatly. I cannot figure out what's going on in his brain on that one, but uh, is it the worst decision move that Rick Hahn has made in his tenure? There's a layer to this that I was thinking about after our long uh, organiz- organization-wide uh, argument <laughs> yesterday about this same topic. Um, Rick Hahn's legacy at the end of this, regardless of what happens from now on, like there's only been really three guys that he can hang his hat on that he drafted while he was the GM. And it's Tim Anderson the first year. Carlos Rodon the second year and Andrew Vaughn fell into his lap later in, but like, so like to let one of the three guys that you really hit on in the first round walk for nothing is such a weird way <laughs> for it to yeah. go for Rick Hahn. Yeah. But this, this team's so loyal. What, 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 oh, well, anyway, uh, uh, other thoughts, a uh, uh, trooper, you don't think it's the worst move that Rick Hahn's ever made. Well, it was stupid in how it went down because I, I had the articles on the, in before the season started during the off season uh, about what they need to do with their various off season options. And 
I was of the opinion that it's fine if you don't extend them the qualifying offer if you're if like you have that money course you're marked for something else big that is going to be a value kind of replacement for Carlos Rodon. And yes. instead of getting that, we got Craig yes. Kimbrough's option. Yep. What do you fucking do? Yeah. That if was you bring it, if you were that, signing Gossman, that's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, to, to bring to, to bring back a guy that like and there's there was actually the stupid move. I think picking up Kimbrell's option was dumber than not extending Carlos Rodon the qualifying offer. Because yes, it was dumb not to, but if you're gonna if if you're up against the wall and you've got plans financially that are that like okay, we're signing a big name. We're going to bring Marcus Semyon in or something like that. Then you're fine with it. Mm-hmm. But then when they go, turn around and use that money, yes. pick up an option on a guy nobody thought they should mm-hmm. have brought back pretty much, yep. who's not really doing that great this year. I mean, he's he's like the Dodgers are kind of barely employing him at this point. Right. But mm-hmm. Instead of extending him that money and forcing yourself, yep. like they painted themselves into a corner. Yes, and the only thing you could do is trade for a 34-year-old outfielder who's had repeated leg injuries. And, and yeah. I, I liked the Pollock trade, but I hated the fact that that's what we had to settle for. Absolutely. You know what? If you go into the offseason and say, we're going to spend 16, 18 million on an outfielder, you might have actually gotten yep. a good outfielder. Yep. All right. It's proper to look at this transaction then. It isn't just that in a vacuum. It really is like a trade for Kimbrel or a trade for nothing in this decision. It isn't just in a vacuum. So if you look at it that way, Joe, Dante, do you feel it's uh, it's the worst move of Hans' tenure? Well, and this is where hindsight is, 2020. There was this time that the White Sox traded um, a prospect named Fernando Tatis <laughs> to get James Shields. And as somebody that went to a single James Shields start, left the game early because of how horrible he was, that one will always just be a little extra for me. That being said, the road, not offering Rodon to get the draft pick annoys me. And as Trooper said, if you need an outfielder that badly, Kyle Schwarber was right there. Right there. Like, or if you want to fix the second base problem, you pay the money to Marcus Simeon or you pay the money to Corey Seager. Because guess what? Baseball is a sport where there's no actual salary cap, and you could do this whole budget, 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 budget thing. The White Sox have a thing where they like to pretend that they're a team that operates in, like, not even Kansas City. They like to pretend that they're in a city that doesn't make money for them. Like, we're the the biggest city in the country. The White Sox playing money ball like the, the Oakland A's has never made sense, but it's just what they do. It's like, okay, I expected them not to go get big fish because they don't go get big fishes. And at one time, the biggest fish they got was Jasmine Grandal. I saw something earlier today. Jerry Reinsdorf, in all these years of owning both the White Sox and the Bulls, <laughs> has never signed someone to $100 million. It's about to change. It's about to change. It's going to change very soon <laughs> if it's housing with the Bulls. But we ain't talking about the polls right now. No, we're not. That's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, and we got a, we got another no. off season to wait, and it might be more. No, no. <laughs> okay, Joe. Like, I, 
Joe, I saw you jump. Uh, I saw you jump at the, at the mention of Kyle Schwarber. I know he's been on your radar for a couple of years, but uh, does this end up qualifying? Uh, even, even with Tatis out there, is this qualifies the worst move if you combine it with what sort of ended up happening uh, by not doing anything after deciding to send Carl? Oh, send him that the little edible uh, arrangements bouquet along with a no qualifying offer, so he could sign for hardly more in San Francisco. I hate the decision. I don't think it's quite the worst one of the bunch. Uh, yeah, it it to me, I, I, I couldn't really wrap my head around it, and I still can't. And, and um, we're probably looking at a slightly different outlook of the season if we have Carlos Rodon pitching every fifth day. Um, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, I, I I think it's a slight exaggeration to call it, you know, the worst one though um but um yeah it just yeah it was kind of, it was one of those moves where it was kind of the intersection of what seemed like a poor thought process and now poor results so um yeah i, I certainly won't be defending it anytime soon <laughs> Yeah, and unfortunately, it won't just be thrown right in our face this weekend. Unfortunately, we are not scheduled to face Carlos Rodon. I should say, fortunately, because oh, I can imagine with his with his strikeout pitches, um, it might be a difficult uh, hill for the White Sox to climb this weekend. Maybe the White Sox can come away with a couple wins. It seems like they're always in it for a rubber game, and then they drop one and lose yet another series. Hey, we gave uh, Anaheim their first home series win in a month or two or whatever it's been all year, whatever it's been. So. White Sox are the gift that keeps on giving. And I think as uh, the trooper corrected and blurted out on me that uh, the White Sox are the marshmallow team. I wouldn't go that far, but uh, boy, we can't exactly be too haughty and look around the empty room waiting for the competition for the AL Central, can we? It's July and it's ugly. Four games under 500. And uh, well, I don't know. Any any parting shots from anybody? Because I'm not really sure what else to say about this team. I think I don't know if I'm in the minority, but I wish that they finished the rest of the year with a better opponent schedule because they're the kind of team that just doesn't seem to get up unless it's opponent they want to face like the Blue Jays. Like they're really bad against teams that are worse than them on paper. Any other quick final thoughts? Here's some fun with numbers for you, Brett. In May, the White Sox had a negative 23 run differential. They were 15 and 12. For June, their run differential is negative two. They went 12 and 15. Yeah. I don't like that fun with numbers. Um, Are you saying you're not enjoying the ride? I'm struck. Well, you know what? It's, it makes for a very colorful commentary and coverage when they, when the ride is not so enjoyable. So it's a little bit of a mixed feeling for you. I'm not exactly rooting for them to lose, but. I would love to talk about how much fun I'm having with, enjoying that. <laughs> I would really like to do that. And that indeed will be uh, next as soon as next podcast uh uh friends we are uh we're going to fade away for now. Uh we will be back um oh I don't know after next series or I don't know within a week. We we just do them we want to do them and I uh, get a bunch of friends to show up and we have some colorful commentary and sometimes even some debates. Thank you Adrian Serrano. Joseph, Super Joseph Reese's Trooper Galactus from Parts Unknown, eyeballing us all, and Dante Jones. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, as always, everyone, for reading, listening, sometimes even watching. Uh, get those last marks in. The TV is about to go off. Uh, 
Southside Sox, thank you for supporting us. We are not here without you. And we'll be back probably sooner than you're ready for us. 